Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Good morning. My name is Rob Heron. I'm the assistant pastor here at Redeemer, and I want to welcome you. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church, which means we're a community of people trying to learn how to love God and trying to learn learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah, and he's come into the world to die for sins and reveal the love of the Father. And so we delight to gather together to rest in the great love that God has given to us in Jesus. And as we rest in that love, we then gather around tables and in homes, but most of all in reading the Bible and praying together so that we might remind one another of that love of God in Jesus. And as we rest in that love and as we remind one another of that love, we then delight to gather in service so that we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors here in Urban and University Knoxville, with the solid hope that in some way that love would spill out from here, from the fort, to the ends of the earth. So that's who we are. We're a community of people trying to learn how to love God and trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, remind, and reflect. And to help us do that this morning, we're continuing in our series that we've entitled Questions God Asks. We more obviously have questions for God, And asking those questions to God is part of knowing him. And yet, if we want to know him, if we would seek him, then we must engage and receive the questions he asks us. So let's look at another question that Jesus asks in John chapter 1. You can find it printed in your bulletin or in one of the Bibles provided in your row. This is John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, the gospel of the Lord. Would you pray for me for the teaching? Father, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, make plain to us the meaning of your word, and that in it and through it, we might see Jesus and seek him as he has sought us. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Some people push themselves through injuries to run marathons. 
Some people push through their fear of heights and go skydiving. Some people push through their exhaustion to stay up late into the night to study for exams. And I am occasionally willing to go shopping because not all heroes wear capes. There are a few things that make shopping challenging for me. One of the things at the top of the list would be walking into any store, let's say men's warehouse. And I walk in and one of the employees rightly asks, hey, do you know what you're looking for? Can I help you find anything? You know what you're looking for? Can I help you find anything? And in that moment, what I hear is, what do you want? And on some level, I don't like to be overdramatic, but that fills me with existential dread in that moment. Because one, I don't know what I want. And I'm ashamed to admit that I forgot to bring a grocery list, grocery list in with me. Or I'm ashamed to admit that I have no idea what to tell you about what kind of suit I'm looking for. I guess that I want it to have two arm sleeves and two pant legs, but I don't want to be too picky. In, you know, in that moment, I'm afraid to admit that, but also there's a deeper fear, another fear that if I let you, employee, take over my seeking, if I let you take the reins, then in the end, I'm going to leave men's warehouse with not what I actually want. I'm going to leave with what you want me to want, a white tuxedo or something else, which might look great on you, not so sure about with me. And I'm, I'm going to be too confused and distracted by the smell of Cinnabon outside to stand up for myself. And so I don't want to shop. I don't want to do it. And there is something really obviously similar. There's something similar in the way we receive Jesus's question. What are you seeking? If we even dig an inch into the question that Jesus asks here, what are you seeking? Or what do you want? We may not want to engage with it. We may not want to receive it. First, because we may not want to acknowledge that I don't really know what I want. Or I may not want to face up to the bald truth of what I really, truly want. But on top of that, I may be unwilling to engage with Jesus' question because it seems that if I give Jesus the reins of my seeking, if I let him take over my searching, I'm not going to get my best and truest desire. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to get what Jesus wants me to want. And so maybe I don't want to go shopping with Jesus. But you were here this morning, and like the disciples in the story, we're at least following close enough that we would hear the question Jesus asks. And so what I want to do this morning is to guide us to hear this question and receive it. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? What I want to do is just look at the two aspects of this question. We're going to look at first the inquiry and second the invitation. So the inquiry and the invitation. First, let's look at the inquiry. From the angle of desire, from the angle of want, you can sum up the entirety of the Bible through Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If God is our delight, then he will meet our most fundamental wants or desires. And this promise through the story of the Bible is focused more and more on a individual, a figure, a prophet, priest, and king who would fulfill all that God has said. And when he does that, then God's people would delight themselves in the Lord. And the Lord would meet the most fundamental desires of their hearts. 
And top tier among those desires would be rest, the gift of God's presence that would bring peace and healing. At the top tier would be a name, the gift of God vindicating his people with a name that would say, you are my people and I am your God. Rest, a name. And those promises get funneled into this expectation for a Messiah, the Christ, the one who would fulfill all of this so that God's people would delight themselves in the Lord and he would give them the desires of their hearts. And so John the Baptist, distinct from the author of the book John, the guy at the beginning of our passage, he has one job, and it's this, to point. That's his one job, to point at the Messiah and say, that's him. He's the one who's going to fulfill all of God's promises, fulfill all of your best and truest desires. And it's a rare thing, but this guy with one job, he does a good job. So there in verse 36, when he sees Jesus walk by, he declares to John's own followers, Behold the Lamb of God. And that term, Lamb of God, it's densely packed with expectations. Expectations that the Messiah in some way would take away the sins of God's people bringing reconciliation and restoration. That the Messiah in some way would defeat God's enemies and his people's enemies so there would be justice. And so John does his one job by pointing at Jesus and saying, there he is. He is the Messiah. He's the one who's going to fulfill all of this. And John didn't understand likely everything that was packed into what he said here, but he knew to point to Jesus. And immediately the followers of John the Baptist do what good followers do. They listen to their teacher. They start following Jesus both literally walking behind him as Jesus is walking, and on a greater level, they're attaching themselves to Jesus. And knowing that they're walking behind him, Jesus turns in verse 38, speaking for the first time in John's book, he presents the inquiry. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? And again, on a literal plane, he may be asking, are you going the direction I'm going? Are you going where I'm going? But if that was all Jesus was asking, if he's just saying, are you going this direction, there would be no reason to include it here. John, the author, could just write, and they followed Jesus. But he includes it with an invitation for us to see more in Jesus' question. And, and the term itself, translated seeking, can also mean desiring. So Jesus looks at these new disciples at them and straight into them, and he asks this question, what do you really want? What do you really want? What do you desire? Well, what do they want? What were they seeking? But apparently, they're looking for a new rabbi, a teacher, because they're following John's point. But apparently, also, they're looking for the Messiah, because when one of them, Andrew, goes and finds his brother, Simon, to tell him about Jesus, he says in verse 41, you can see there, we have found the Messiah. So they're looking for these things. And yet Jesus' question, it cuts through those initial answers. What kind of rabbi are you seeking? What kind of teacher are you looking for? What kind of Messiah are you looking for? What do you think he's going to do for you? Were you looking for someone like the religious teachers who's going to make you zealous for the law? Are you looking for a Messiah as warrior king who's going to initiate the finally successful overthrow of our political enemies? Pressing further down, Jesus asked them, what do you really want? 
What do you really want? And it's a question that reflects true care if it's asked with love. And Jesus loves his disciples. And we, on one level, we long for people to ask us, what do you want? Because if, if no one ever asks you what you want, you're going to feel squashed, right? If they just assume that you want what they want to do, they'll feel small. And so if someone actually asks you, hey, what do you want for dinner tonight? It's your choice. If you've never been asked that, I think that could be very liberating, make you feel seen and known. But for some of us, that actually might be a source of anxiety. I don't know what I want to eat for dinner. What I want is to have one less decision. And you're giving me every choice in the world and saying, choose, you must choose. And if that's true, how much more is Jesus's question here a source of simultaneous hope and terror? What do you really want? What do you truly want? He's asking not just about the, the surface level things that we'd say, yeah, I want this. I want this subscription. I want this item. I want this product. He's asking about the tectonic level, primal desires of your soul. What do you want? And so we hear the poetic refrain from our, our British treasure, the Spice Girls. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And we respond, sure, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. But let's pause on it. Will you really? Do you know how to answer it? Do you know what you really, really want? Do you want to face what you really, really want? And so in and through Jesus, God is turning to us this morning to ask, what do you truly desire? What do you really want? He's asking not because he doesn't know, but because he wants us to answer him. Because he wants to do something at that level of tectonic desires, primal desires, that requires that he delve into the shadowy, cavernous places in your soul. And he does this as we confess the truth to him. Give an honest answer. Well, what do you want? And for sure, I mean, the answer includes things. I mean, we want the right job. We want a best friend. We want a specific person to love us romantically. We want our kids to be okay. We want our college experience to be what we had hoped it would be. And yet that's only part of the answer, right? It skims the surface. But Jesus is investigating the desires beneath the desires. What do you want in the money? What do you want in wanting the money or the romance or the career? Because underneath those surface desires lie these entrenched longings like the desire for rest, the desire to know that there is rightness within me and outside of me that would bring safety and peace, rest, like the desire for a name, the desire to have a stable sense of who I am so that I would know that I'm enough. But why is acknowledging these kinds of desires to God so difficult? Well, it's painful for God to peer into those tectonic level desires, allowing him to work on that level if and because I struggle to believe that Jesus is actually going to give me what I want. If I follow him, then he's going to lead me where he wants me to go, right? Doesn't he tell me that I have to die to myself or to say goodbye or no to the things that I'm seeking? 
Why would I want that? And it's painful for God to turn your face to really acknowledge the things that you truly, deeply want, because then you'll be confronted with the awfulness of hope and the prospect of despair. To be confronted with the tension of reality that in the end, I will either have the desires of my heart or my life is a tragedy. That's the force of Jesus's question. And yet there's even more edges to it. Because how are you going to get what you really want? Even if you confess your most entrenched desires, how will you attain them? And Jesus' wording of the question, what are you seeking, speaks to a shared human assumption that what we really want are things, something, some stuff. What we want are things, a career, or even underneath that, some intangible, immaterial thing, a justified existence that's still something that I need to get. And to get these things, we assume I have to earn them. To get the desires of my heart, I have to do the right things. It's a process of of doing the right stuff over and over again. And if I do the right things, then eventually I will get what I really want. And we inevitably take that kind of assumption into following Jesus. So that as Sean told us last week and reminded us, we can make following Jesus into yet another technique to get what we want by trying to earn it. Turning his face toward us. But Jesus asked not only, what do you really want, but how do you think you're going to get it? And how do, I, how do you think I figure into this? Am I just a teacher who's going to give you good advice along the way? Or am I a desire dealer where you do the right things and then I'll give you the good stuff if you straighten up and fly right? Jesus is asking, what do you want? How do you want to get it? And even yet another edge, why are you seeking in the first place? And endlessly so. Why do you keep seeking and seeking and seeking? Well, we seek because we're desiring creatures. That's who we are most basically. We're desirers because we are worshipers. But the strange thing is we are endlessly desiring, endlessly seeking. We seek and we seek and we seek after rest and after a name, and we are endlessly disappointed so that the abiding experience of our lives is ache, ache and longing, and frustration, and disappointment. And so the question is, is that just the way it is? Is that just the the story of all of us? That we seek, and we seek, and we seek, and then it just ends. And there's no fulfillment. But Jesus, what he does here, it gives solid hope to desirers like you and me. We've seen the inquiry, but look second at the invitation. The invitation. I think reading the passage initially, it can seem like a bunch of disjointed happenings together, almost like a conversation that you would overhear between a couple of four-year-olds. You know, what do you want? Where do you live? Come and see. What's your name? Simon? No, I'm going to call you Peter. What's going on here? But all, all the action here, if it's connected, which it is, then it shows us that Jesus is providing the answer to his question. And he provides it in invitation. To Jesus' question, the disciples respond in verse 38. You can see, where are you staying? Where are you dwelling? They want to go where Jesus is going, to his dwelling. And continuing to speak at both the literal and the greater levels, Jesus extends the invitation in verse 39. Come and you will see. 
He invites them first to stay with him because it's the 10th hour, so it's, it's the time for work to be through. It's time for rest. And second, after Andrew goes and tells his brother Simon, in verse 41, we have found the Messiah, Simon is brought to Jesus. And there in 42, Jesus looks at Simon and tells him, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's the same name that Jesus will declare and confirm over Peter later on. You are Peter. But Jesus gives it to him here before Peter does anything else, before he does much of anything. Jesus knows him and he gives him a name and he invites him to receive it. So what's going on here? What we have here is a snapshot a microcosm of how Jesus addresses the desires at the tectonic level of each one of our hearts, the truest and best desires. He invites us, invites us to come and see. See what? Where he dwells, to know his rest. And he invites us to come and see how he names those who belong to him. Jesus' invitation is the answer to his question because it's the answer to what we are truly seeking after, whether we know it or not. He gives us what we truly seek, we see here, in relationship with himself and purely as a gift. In himself and purely as a gift. I was hiding in my wife's house when I proposed to her. It's what we call wake-up transition in preaching. What is this? Is he, is he preaching? I was hiding in my wife's house when I proposed to her. I didn't break in. In her house, where she was living at the time in Athens, Georgia, her roommate let me into the house so that I could hide before proposing while she was out at dinner. And I was on one knee with some cheesy romantic candles on a table behind me with the room dimly lit besides the candles. And when she finally walked into the house, seeing me in a dark house with just a bright light and someone there, she said, and I'll really never forget, uh, she in that moment will never forget what I said to her, which is something like, boo. <laughs> and after shrieking in horror, she saw that it was me and saw that I was down on one knee. And I really, I'll never forget what she said in that moment. She said, uh, no. And a pause. <laughs> no, pause. No, end of story. No, she said, no, pause. And then she said, I smell like La Perea, the go-to restaurant in Athens, Georgia. And then she looked at me and she said, can I go change? And my response to her in that moment was, no, please come here. Extending the invitation, you can't go do a wardrobe change. No matter how much her clothes were saturated with grease and salsa odor, it was not the time for a wardrobe change. It was time to accept the invitation and come here. Now, it does need to be noted, her desire to go and change, perfectly understandable. And looking back, that gesture, the way I proposed, far less romantic, far less caring than I thought it was at the time. Like, this is great. Who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't be terrified and have someone say, no, you can't change my proposal. So I just want to make that clear. <laughs> Not great, but still my invitation, please come here. It was inviting her towards something that apparently she wanted a little bit more than the wardrobe change, surprisingly so. And the invitation for her was to come immediately as she was before she changed, before she did anything else. That's my point. Jesus invites us to come to him because he is what we've been seeking. He surprises us with this invitation 
Not to something, but to himself. With his surprising invitation to come and see that he is the fulfillment of our heart's best and truest longings. And so his invitation is not, come to me and I will give you something outside of me. It's come to me and I will give you myself. Because he is our rest. He is our true rest. To follow him is to enter into the safety and the rest of knowing that we are right with God. It's to enter into the hope of all things being made new through him. He is the name above all names. And to hand over our seeking to him is to be named by him. And because his love is enough, we receive the name, the identity, the value, the love that we've been aching for. And it's in him. So Jesus invites us to himself and he surprises us with the good news that he gives us the fullness of our desire in him before anything else happens. The change needed in us, he gives and he will work out, but there's no wardrobe change needed to get him. And so how do we get what we desire most? It's by desiring him. Jesus is the only one who can give us what we most truly want, but he's not a desire dealer. In prying open these disciples once, he asked, what do you seek? But later on, he asked another disciple, Mary, after his resurrection, whom are you seeking? And that's the real question. The way to get what we want is to learn to desire him above getting anything, above getting. And the only way to learn to desire him that way is that we would love him above all things. And the only way to love him above all things is to come and see how he has loved us. To follow him, to come close, to see more and more that what he gives is entirely apart from what we bring to the table. He gives us what we are seeking in a way that drives headlong against our assumptions about how we would ever find it. Following Jesus is not a technique to get what we desire. It's a response to the most gracious invitation. Come and you will see. You will see that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And coming to him, you will receive the rest he has prepared for you. And you will receive the name that you've been aching for. And here's the good news for desirers. That he invites us to entrust our ache to him. Outside of him, we will never stop seeking. We will never stop searching, never find the rest from the abiding ache of longing, never find the name that would, would tell us, this is who you are. To people like us who fruitlessly and foolishly seek outside of him, Jesus' invitation is, come and entrust your ache to me. To people like us, who will continue to ache until the day we see him face to face. To those like us who will ache and will long until that moment of arrival. Jesus says, come and entrust your ache to me. Because if we entrust our longing ache to him, if we would follow him, we would be following in the right direction, following the joy of every longing heart, following the solid promise that we will reach the end. And when we reach the end, the ache will be no more. And we will no longer seek because we'll find him.
because he's found us. And here at the table, we come to the one who has turned to us. When we were far from him, he sought us out because he desired us, because he wants us, because he loves us, who gave himself his life at the cross so that in him we would receive life, rest, and a name. So the invitation is here. Come and see, touch, and taste the one you've been seeking after.